Food and Faith Podcast would like to thank our sponsor, Memphis Theological Seminary. Memphis Theological Seminary is currently accepting applications to join the next cohort of the Doctor of Ministry in Land, Food, and Faith Formation. This dynamic and innovative low-residency program is open to students who are passionate about the intersections of ministry with agricultural practices, food justice, care for the land, and the role of faith communities in both rural and urban settings. Students in this program explore the theological and ethical dimensions of land and its use, the role of food in our lives, and the ways faith communities both shape and are shaped by their relationship with land and food. This program will provide theological resources and practical models for the practice of ministry in faith communities, which seek to relate more intentionally to the care of land, food, and all living creatures. The first one-week residency for the new cohort takes place in June 2022, and applications are currently being accepted until April 30th. For more information and to apply, visit memphisseminary.edu. Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chamberlain. Welcome back, Food and Faith Podcast listeners. This is Derek Weston. We have an interview for you today that is a part of the Just Kitchen project that Anna and I mentioned on the show a couple weeks ago. We were writing a book called A Just Kitchen, and as a part of that, we were going to be interviewing some folks and talking about what happens in their kitchens and the things that they do to make their kitchen a just place. So what you're going to hear today is an intergenerational interview that Anna did with three women, who I'm going to introduce here in just a second, and talking about passing traditions down through generations within the kitchen. So who you're going to hear from today are Aaliyah Tambury, Connie McCosker, and Nella McCosker. Just in way of bio, Aaliyah Tambury immigrated to the U.S. from Italy in 1962. She's well known in San Pedro for Italian cooking and baking, and has hosted hundreds of meals for families, friends, and strangers alike. She specializes in recipes from the Abruzzo region, where she's from. She and her husband, Omero, raised three children. She'll be 90 in March. Her daughter is Connie McCosker, case manager at a family homeless shelter at Harbor Interfaith Services and community projects manager for Grand Vision Foundation, a nonprofit in the arts. She's a six-year member of the Garden Church San Pedro and is studying to be a Swedenborgian licensed pastor. She and her husband Tim raised five children. And her daughter is Nella McCosker, Vice President of Strategic Relations for Central City Association Los Angeles. She is a graduate of the Coro Fellowship in Public Affairs and a board member of the TACSC, a youth leadership organization. She and her husband Nick are new parents of Omera, 10 months old. Really looking forward uh, to you all hearing this interview about uh, passing cooking down through generations. Just want to remind you that you can support this podcast and any little bit helps. Uh, you can go to www.patreon.com com slash food and faith podcast. All right, let's listen to Anna's interview. Hey, welcome food and faith podcast community. This is Anna here and I have the joy of speaking today with three dear people. These are people that I had the honor to get to know when I was at the garden church and they're still out there in San Pedro and in the greater Los Angeles area. And today we are talking about cooking and intergenerational cooking. And so we have here three 
and actually four there's a there's a little one around he's not quite cooking yet but um he's eating so we have four generations um represented and we're looking forward to hearing about the stories about what happens in your kitchens so i'm gonna there's invite you to introduce yourselves and um why don't we start with the well not the youngest youngest generation but Nella, why don't you go ahead and start and we'll work our way up sure my name is nella mccosker i'm gonna be representing generation number three at the bottom here almost at the bottom as we said um yeah i'm in here with my mother and grandmother who are gonna introduce themselves next okay and i'm connie mccosker so i am nella's mom and um my mother elia is also with us today and I'm Mahalia Ambori, <laughs> mother of Gardens and grandmother of Nella. Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, it's such a joy to have you all with us today. So we're going to start off by asking a question about telling us about your kitchen. And so when I say that, I don't just mean the physicality of it, though that might be important. Um, but what is the experience that happens in your kitchen and this could be your kitchen growing up it could be your kitchen now and thinking about how it shaped you to be who you are today now this is a question that we ask a lot of different people and usually there's one person but what's really fun about this interview is that each of you are going to tell us about your kitchen and it's going to affect the other two right <laughs> because you are in and out of each other's kitchens um well i grew up with Nothing in the kitchen. <laughs> My mom always cook and clean. Well, we had to clean, but she was the cook because no more to cook. Pasta, veggies, beans, that's it. You know, nothing really. I don't learn much to do anything. I just watch my mom. Yeah. And when I grow up, I start to look a little bit more deeply, but I never cook, ever. <laughs> when I came in America, the first thing in breast, I was happy when I buy a loaf of bread. I said, this is a bread. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, oh, I think I better start to do something. <laughs> and I started on my own. I make bread, then I started to make a pasta, the beginning with the roll like I used to do all the fashion. But then the kitchenette came. <laughs> Kitchenette came very early on me because there was no kitchenette yet at the store. We had a friend uh, next door to the Angolari was the, what's his name? Yeah, anyway, it was a guy. He had a store to sell the TV, things like that. Appliances. Appliances, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he told me about this machine, do this, do that. I said, oh, I'm interesting. Can you <laughs> so he bought for me and I still have the same one 50 years ago. It's a wow. size, right? Yeah. Joyo Stefan Stefanio. Stefanio. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Sure, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, and uh, I bought this machine and I started to make bread. After the bread, they started to come attachment for pasta. Of course, the first one by the attachment, attachment is me. <laughs> and I started little by little. Then I started interesting on the cookies and all the rest of it. Now I never stop. Make a cookies, pasta, bread, whatever needs to be done. 
and she um, freezes a lot. Oh, gosh, and, yes. and thus, you know, even through COVID, all the kids would come through just in the garage is the, is the extra freezer just to do their shopping, yeah. which means they just take from the freezer yeah. of frozen, uh, frozen and goods. I, excuse me. <laughs> and I remember to make a sauce. I never made the sauce at home, but I saw my mom made. So uh -huh. we even did the Mandali family things to make a sauce, to make a sausage, to make a biscotti, to make pasta. We did all those things. Yes, that question's coming up. <laughs> oh, <I'm sorry. laughs> okay. oh, that's great. Good. That's wonderful. Wonderful. So, then so, I love it. So, Connie, what's your experience of kitchens? My experience in the kitchen was not so much because my mom, yeah, so we were generationally doing the same thing. So, I kind of didn't have the interest. I wasn't so good at it. She don't even appear. Yeah. And then I started something, she'd say, You're not doing it right. Let me just do it. I'll do it faster. That's what my mother said. <laughs> So I wasn't um, really interested. And also, it was just easy to ask my mom if we needed something, even as an adult, just to ask her to make it. It was just easier than thinking about trying to make something good in Italian. It wasn't till um, garden church experiences that my kitchen changed. When we first moved into this house, I feel very blessed because I have a huge kitchen and I almost felt guilty because I thought, oh, I'm not deserving of this wonderful kitchen. But again, then the garden church came along and I've had other cooking experiences where I have definitely used my kitchen well. I've earned it. <laughs> I've earned it. <laughs> yeah. I've earned it now. <laughs> well, to, to build on that, Nella, um, thinking about, you you mentioned to not like necessarily think just about the kitchen as a physical space, but as I think about the two kitchens that have just been described, it's hard not to kind of go there. Um, that um, it's just like a place where people end up gathering, right? Whenever there's like a family event, you just find yourself packed in the kitchen. And so it's this space, both at Nana's house and at my, my parents' house, my mom's house, where like I can just picture the family sharing memories and doing the cooking together to some degree, right? Nana is very, um, she, we've had these dedicated times to sort of really learn recipes. But over over the years, it was always clear that that was Nana's realm and you didn't really get in there and mess with her flow or do anything other than the very specific tasks that she gave. In my mom's kitchen, it was much more if you were walking by, you were getting roped into something in the kitchen or you right. had to go check on the stove because something was probably maybe burning. <laughs> um, and then in my home right now, right, in a very small kitchen, I like, you know, um, feel a sense of, of comfort, even though I'm not like an excellent cook, but I, I like kind of combine the styles maybe of these two women that came before me, right? One is like this, um, you know, very Italian, like, you're always going to just chop up some garlic and olive oil to start off any meal, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then for my mom's like uh, sort of example, right? Like figure out what you're going to make based on whatever's like about to go bad in the fridge <laughs> um, and sort of kind of combining these, those spaces and thinking about the kitchen as just like a, a space to, to convene and talk and sort of um, make food together. Um, that, those were kind of some of the things I was thinking about in this after hearing of those, those stories. Yeah. 
Well, it's beautiful that all the three of you have experienced each other's kitchens. I mean, obviously not, you know, not as childhood kitchen, but these kitchens um, have shaped you all collectively. And there's there's interplay in that. Um, so I've heard that you've been doing active, purposeful intergenerational cooking lessons and um, inviting one another into each other's kitchens to learn some of these recipes. And I'm just curious, how did that start? What did what um, precipitated those family cooking lessons? I think it was you. There, there's been like, yeah, like moments where each of us, the, the siblings and or my siblings have, have said like, geez, we really need to know how to make Nana's X, right? Anything. We're never going to make it as good as hers. We should really learn how to make pasta, really learn how to make meatballs or sausage or whatever the case. So we, I think we just started coming over and saying, yeah. here's what we're going to make this week. Yeah. yeah. It might have started with um, Pa needing to do something for Little Italy, which is now uh, a development in, in downtown San Pedro and making the peppers. Oh, and yeah. having that on video, yeah. did that start it? I think that was in the midst, but oh. either way, right? Like Nana's cooking is so um, special and so like, you know, desirable that we're just like, how do we try? <laughs> how do we try to learn? It's easy for you, yeah. <laughs> it common, as it commonly goes in these lessons, it's, oh, just a little of that and just you'll feel for it when it looks right. You know, that's when you're like, what? How do, how do I turn that into a recipe? <laughs> <laughs> but the Nana was a good, she used to write down everything we did, right? Yeah, yeah. So at least she knows better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my mom is also offering that sort of um, cooking lesson to lots of people in the community. So it hasn't that been has just... could be, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so she... <laughs> yeah. So she's, she's doing that through COVID as a, you know, community service is offering her cooking lessons how to make a pasta how to make a sauce yeah yeah that's, that's beautiful so you know you've learned maybe how to make some specific dishes but what else has happened during those those cooking lessons together like have you learned <laughs> no um stories nana tells a lot of stories of like how um for example she was kind of referencing it right like pre-kitchen aid <laughs> right there's like just such a um a cool history to right like the the i'm thinking of a few like there was one main big oven location in town where oh, everyone yeah. would bring when, their bread before when i grew up we were young there was a no stuff in the house, no gas. So you make bread, what do you do? What do you cook? So they have the public oven to do in town. Then the loaf of bread, they were like this long. They come and pick them up and they cook for you and they, you know, they pick up and pay for the whatever. That was the beginning, no stuff, nothing. Because no gas was alive. So right. now, now it's exactly like here. They were no problem anymore. So, but uh, it was tough then, because what do you do? The pasta was everything with the roll. Could you go get the um, a la guitarra? It's right there. And so I, the pasta from the region is a la guitarra, no. the guitar. So there was this, um, there was this primitive. Oh. We call it guitarra because all of the string is like the guitar. Yeah. Oh. Their system of making pasta. And we have yeah. one in our kitchen for display. This, I've never used it. I, I did use. 
See, this side so, of the mega spaghetti. Okay, so I want to describe it to our listeners. So it's, a, yeah. it's, wood, it's, it's wooden and it has... Um, Fettuccine. It has no, long uh, no, like you wires, would, yeah. um, which you would like lay, right? A big yeah. piece of pasta. What you across. do, you roll with big roll. You make it thin, you can make. Then you got a kind of slice, you know. You put over here and with the roll, you roll and the pasta come falls here. through this. Through the, through the yeah. guitar. Through the guitar. <laughs> we don't play the guitar, but we make a pasta. <laughs> it's a beautiful song. Beautiful song. It's the beginning. Now, everything is new, everything in the machines, everything, no. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a fun thing to do, though. Yeah. To go, yeah, to go back, I think that's been one of the coolest things is, of course, like, learning the the recipes themselves but hearing nana describe her childhood um these like scenes in 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 italy and a, like a greater appreciation of just how <laughs> how much we have now right just as a result of oh, time, yeah, the past of yeah. time but also you know um electricity and appliances right. and all the conveniences that make it so e well, easier to cook now when i was really young we don't have electricity at home then later came only night time. It was a big uh, storing light thing. So they go uh, before start get dark to put them on. In the morning they yeah. took off. Then yeah. we had the the iron with the cold inside. <laughs> it comes from a different time and place. <laughs> it's a different different time and place. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, everything was on the fireplace. You cook on the fireplace with the big. Container, a pot, yeah, guys. hanging on a hook, yeah, which yeah. I can uh -huh. still picture at my grandmother's yeah. house. Uh, the copper, yeah, and you yeah. like a big kettle, yeah, hanging over, a and, pot. and everything gets cooked in that one kettle, yeah, yeah in the one pot, yeah. Well, the, the sauce you make on different spot. You have some other container we call it for gazella with the coal, yeah. and you put the pot in there to make a soup, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, definitely hearing the stories yeah. so that the stories can live on is an important part of that kitchen time. And uh, you're also making a big batch sometimes, sauce especially, right? You're making a uh -huh. it's the, it's it gets jarred, right? It's like a whole process for for even like preservation of the food. Yeah, because to when have throughout when the year. When there's time, mm -hmm. there don't was any tomato. So sure. if you want to make a sauce, you need a tomato. So yeah. what we used to do before we make the sauce, fresh squeeze tomato, put it in the bottle. The bottle was cork. cork. A cork as the top cork. of a wine bottle was. The... Yeah, we save all uh -huh. the wine a bottles. And then we tie with the big string. Yeah. yeah. And you have to boil all of this in a big, big, big container. Back in my, um, my grandparents' house, it was a big thing so they put this huge, can't die, not big thing. So you Cauldron. have to, yeah, you, you have to put all of this bottle already with tomato, fresh tomato, squeezed. Uh -huh. So that was the canning. Yeah, canning. Yeah, canning was done in a wine bottle with cork. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. The preserve that you have to boil the whole jars. Yes. yes. Otherwise, huh. it will get wished. You know? And then you have the tomatoes for yeah the whole year. And then year. all the winter time you use that. Right. So right. It's just a fresh tomato. 
But every summer you do do that. You do the bad paper like we talk about. That's the life we had growing up. Right. We talk now about like seasonal eating as like this, you know, way to be more connected and to be more environmentally friendly. But that was just reality of that's how you had to eat. <laughs> that's when the food that most of the food is there. So then you need to preserve it so that you have food to eat in the other seasons. Plus once a year. This time of the year, most right after Christmas, everybody, almost every family, killed the pig, pig. Uh-huh. They make a sausage, they make a prosciutto, they make a salami, they make all those things. Also prosciutto, yeah. right? Prosciutto, salami yes. is really also right. Dry, like salted and dried. Meats. Right. That my grandmother would hang a prosciutto in the bathroom, you know. <laughs> Whatever space you have, you have, because yeah. the cold, cold, freezing weather. Uh-huh. Preserve. So whatever window was, you put the prosciutto. <laughs> <laughs> there. Use what you have. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, you know, it was kind of fun. <laughs> well, it's interesting. So I'll kind of... We'll circle back to the faith question, um, which I know is next on your on our list, but I want to just jump in and think about um, how things have been handed down. So, Connie, one of the things I know about you is that you will let no food go to waste. I mean, to an extreme of more than, I mean, I think we give you a hard time about this. <laughs> more than most normal people, yeah. And I'm getting yes. more extreme, it's getting a little scary. Yes. Um, and this is this is a this is a uh, a laudable quality though you know anything to extremes right but um but i wonder like how how i think i think it's it is a um a direction that in this country um many of us should move more towards which is to not waste waste food i mean i think there's a stat i read recently about like 40 percent of food that's like purchased is goes to waste. So like in our refrigerators or leftovers, or I mean, it's just, it's really not okay. But I'm curious, I'm curious, like, how do you trace that thread of your awareness? And does it connect with your mom's um, stories and how you were like, is, is it connecting to that? That's how precious food was. Um, I believe so. Um, I believe that's why maybe I've, I've become so extreme, but I enjoy it actually too. And, um, I enjoy, you know, teaching it to others or at least having them see me by example, because, um, it's, it's become fun to, save and maybe just tell our listeners a little bit about what does food rescue mean to you like tell us a few stories okay or we'll, well, t- or we'll tell stories on you <laughs> <laughs> well for the garden church and feeding people on sunday before covid i was connected to someone in the community that uh, did the cooking and cleaning after banquets at a, a large hall so i would get calls in the middle of the night to come pick up leftover food that <clears throat> would, would otherwise get thrown away the the cooks and the the cleaners were allowed to take some home but it was just a, such a large amount that um it was offered to me then other people started hearing about it and if there was an, an event in downtown san pedro i got those leftovers too and then that led to two large freezers <laughs> yeah <laughs> in our in our home and it just has become something that is not not so hard to do if we if we think about it and we're aware. And what about like in your own kitchen? And feel free to jump in now and 
tell us the story of that experience. But um, yeah, in fact, I'm going to ask Nella this question. What, 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 tell us about um, how food is not wasted in your mom's kitchen. Uh, what does that look like? Well, yeah, this, this, um, this idea or this food rescue that, um, that she's been doing in the last you know few years is like totally a through line to childhood where I think it was less like large batch saving of, of food but it was nothing ever went to waste ever and and there was no such thing as sort of like food that was too bad like yeah or that you couldn't if you, you couldn't didn't like it, it if you didn't like it yeah. you're gonna like it in the next form that you don't even know it's in there yeah yeah rest, uh, <laughs> like leftovers took on this sort of like everlasting quality where like a little bit of the stew would go into the next thing would go into the next thing would go into the next thing um and it i mean it for me like i remember it was connected to right this idea that um we didn't waste ever um we raised with five kids in the family right i think there was to some degree a like financial yeah know, we were saving so that you could go to college yeah of course <laughs> never also, went out to dinner yeah yeah um so yeah, food was just like, there was always going to be some sort of creative ingredient in, <laughs> in soups and salads and um, uh, some of which have become very like vogue and popular now, right? But like <laughs> for my mom, it was always just about what do we have? How do we eat it and honor it? I, I do think we could have to talk about no-no though, being like, you know, would pick fruits and, and go to the grocery store. It was like part of his um like i don't know his, hobby his interest to his interests um knowing where the specials were and yeah going to certain stores for certain things and yeah, yeah this is not as has been no no yeah. um yeah that like i don't know you just always honored the food that you had and it didn't it didn't wind up in the trash ever uh, i just think like one really practical example is like, I mean, I remember you saved the ends of the bags of chips, like the little last bits of, this is something we started doing in our family. Oh, <laughs> it's like the last of the crumbs. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do you call them? <laughs> freezer crumbs. And yeah. there's, the, freezer crumbs. there's the Ziploc bag of um, the savory. And then there's the sweet from the cereal <laughs> and the cookie crumbs. And it becomes, well, hey, we, we haven't gotten something. <laughs> so the savory. So yeah, so the bottom of the, of the cracker chip bag would be saved and those would all go into a, a meatloaf, right? Oh, like, yeah. saved, like a bread okay. on meatloaf. And then for the sweets, um, like graham crackers, whatever else you'd make, um, uh, like granola, granola bars. bars, like homemade, both of which, again, like you're just, you're, you're cutting into a piece of le a meatloaf and going, Hmm, is that a cheese it? <laughs> <laughs> or, or the very interesting homemade, you know, granola bar, if we can call it that. Just good, lovely it texture. Like <laughs> we don't make a fun of your mom with what you're doing to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the reality, right? Like we would sort of complain about it and, and we didn't have um, the same kinds of lunches that we would open at school with all the other kids, right? Because it's not, yeah. it, it was not only. Definitely not cool yeah it's not only like stranger sort of setups in the typical like you know sliced off crust bread sandwiches <laughs> kind of none of that we also got like recycled um the chip bags you were saying right like <laughs> our sandwiches were in tortilla bags or whatever else right like even though right the, that wouldn't match what you were the, getting on the inside the environmentalism and the idea of sustainability really like is the through line to everything including recite you know reusing bags which right I've had many lives, <laughs> many different right. forms of use. 
which I'm sure in about middle school, you really did not appreciate. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah not, cool. Yeah. not cool, but you know, we're, we're tougher for it. It's, we're fine. <laughs> you, all t- you all seem to turn out okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, which actually led to Garrity um, in high school becoming a freegan, and oh, he would just hang out near the, um, <laughs> near the trash can, and just like before people were going to throw away whatever they didn't want in their lunch, he, he rescued it. So I kind of learned from my son, too. <laughs> awesome yeah. awesome yeah. well I know your family um is a family that has um some deep faith and I don't I don't need to assume where you all are at this moment in time but I know that this is part of your family story and I'm curious how what might each of you um um talk about that intersection where does your faith connect to cooking or the kitchen or your intergenerational cooking and how would you see those connections everything you do you make a cross that's where my family taught me Uh my grandmother my mom every time you make bread you cross yeah you do you pray god before you start to do and you know the faith is there you grew up with that you believe in all the sticks every time i make something i pray god Every morning, well, this is not a story every morning, but when I do, I do something. Related to cooking. Now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why I stop. Uh, every time I do something, I bless. Yeah. If somebody make a cross and bread, I make the law, I make the rolls, I have to make a cross. People say, well, because that's what I believe, a cross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. And God is in it. Mm-hmm. So the faith is there. That's what, you know, we pray for everything we make. You, I remember when uh, I used to go walk with my father and see people work on the yard. We don't have a farm. But not, you have a Orchard. Farm. Orchard, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, you pass by and say, God bless you. God bless you. Dio ti benedico. Dio ti benedico. I, you grew up that way. and you. That's where the faith is, right? Yeah. That's beautiful. It's yeah. integrated. Yeah. I always believe in that and I still believe it. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I'll jump in with, you know, of course, growing up, I'm sure we heard a lot from the nuns that it was a sin to throw away food. Um, so maybe that had some influence on me. Um, <laughs> you took it very dark. <laughs> people think it's a sin. Yeah. <laughs> and um, making um, meal, every meal sacred. I remember um, our, our parish priest, um, Father Tom, who taught us we should always have a tablecloth because each meal is sacred That's and special. We, we yes, a tablecloth, you know, making sure. it meaningful. I remember when the kids were busy with sports in the elementary and junior high and high school years of trying to come up with a time that most people would be home so that we could have dinner. Even if that meant you started the dinner before you dropped someone off for practice, then you had 15 minutes so you cooked the rice a little bit more and then you turned off the stove and then you cooked it a little bit more when you got home and uh, <laughs> a little bit more and then and a little bit more because oops it's not rice anymore <laughs> 
but um, you know, making the family meal very important with prayer at the beginning, and even um, you know, with sort of fun prayer songs through those family camp years, mm -hmm. where we we learned how to how to make. Um, the prayer meal, the meal, uh, the the prayer for the meal be exciting and interesting. Um, also in the conversation during the meal, having it be faith based a lot of times. It doesn't feel like such a direct link, but it it must be the case that like these. It, it was true that my my mom and our family really worked hard to make sure that meal time was sacred because that was our family time. And there's a whole bunch of um, you know things that can be competing in your lives right around high school, especially. I, I'm thinking of when I just you get busy and there's a whole yeah. bunch of excuses and reasons why families feel they can't sit together and share that space. And it was a, a huge priority for my mom and one that connects so much to our faith and our our um, feeling that this this family unit is sacred and time that we could spend talking and sharing and being a part of each other's lives. There's also like some other um, like more literal, right? Like foods that I can think of that are connected to faith in the like fish dinner that Nana would make on Christmas Eve, right? And this the is the tradition the traditional. of Italian people basically yep. see that the fish because it was a sin to be eaten. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why they told us. Right. That was not. Now, now meat's not true. <laughs> I don't eat meat at Christmas Eve. I won't. Yeah. Lots of traditions. Yeah. Or or palomba is like a sweet um, kind of decorated um, pastry bread for Easter, right? So I can I associate a lot faith based of, food exactly. Yeah. Like there's yeah. foods connected to holidays yeah. that come from Nana, and so that's where it's like right the cultural and the faith traditions kind of lining up because it's this thing that's been done for because the Easter time. We even boil eggs and go on a nice plate. They go to church. And the, the priest bless all the kids with big eggs. With so, eggs. Uh, with eggs. Uh huh. Yeah. All, you know, lots of things you grew up. With. Yeah, yeah. The ways in which, right, like food, um, is like a way. You know, the, the specialness around food around holidays as being a part of the the faith itself, right? That yeah. the Easter, we try to clean all the copper. We have you know the copper. Copper. Yeah. Like, you know, Kaldai clean because the after Easter the priest come all over the town blessing the house with the new uh -huh. blessing one. So you wanted your kitchen you to be clean. Clean. <laughs> clean. <laughs> clean. Like to clean after Easter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there was an end all over the house. We don't have the cover. We had just things to hang. So hooks. We, hooks, yeah. 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 And you put yeah. all those things, they have to be clean. Have to be clean. Yeah. The priest is coming. Yeah. Well, you talked <laughs> about Father Tom. I mean, that was another thing, too. I think there are, there's many um, families in, uh, in faith traditions who invite over someone like that, that to eat with them. But I didn't know many other, like, Family. Like Catholic families who really invited and had priests over for dinner, I which am, Nana does every am, all the time. I am all the did a lot of inviting religious people over, yeah. so yeah, also led to more um, faith-based yeah. conversation at the table. Right. Yeah. Right. But I did want to say something about Nella already. Oh. I've noticed. What's which is okay when I when I go to your refrigerator. Yeah. 
you have all the same stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So that's heartwarming, right? And then you've already said, I've heard you say that, yes, we want Omero to sit and have a meal. Oh, yeah, we do. So that he learns that the meal is important. Yeah. Yeah. So he sits in his high chair. Eight months old almost, right? And like, yeah, it's still a phase, as you know, Reverend right? Where like food is still just something to play with and try out mostly. But um, we, yeah, we want, we need to sit together as much as possible for dinner. It's too hard. We we had to do, we had to do. Yeah. My father sat on on beside the chair. If if not everybody came at the table, we never started to eat. Everybody had to be at the table together. Yeah. Yeah. It's a powerful. We we are doing the same thing, and it's it's so fun. And we have the blessing song that we sing, and you know her face lights up, and like, oh, this is the thing. <laughs> but I think it's like never too early, right, to instill those traditions and to instill that. And and you know, I think it's something that even even if you're a family of of one or of two, or of, you know, if there aren't even children involved, but just that there's that dedication to sacred time around the table um i'm curious just like back it up a little bit so one of the things that um that derek and i have really been thinking about and talking about is we often do jump to like what's the connection of faith and the eating and the sharing of the food but i wonder if you just want to like rewind a tiny bit and is what are the ways that faith comes into the cooking and you know nana you were you offered more of this and your answer at the beginning is, you know, the, the crossing and the prayer. And I'm curious for Connie and Nella if there's, if there's a, you know, is is there a sense of a spiritual practice when you're cooking, or is there, uh, is is it a prayerful? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, I know for me, or or um, or are there conversations that happen in the kitchen? Just I'm just curious to kind of. <laughs> Pull out a little bit more of what happens in the the kitchen part before it goes to the table. Okay, I have some examples. When I rescued things that were going to be composted at the garden, the the fresh vegetables, um, I would use a lot of Friday evenings as, as personal reflection time and meditation while I you know, cut the mold off cucumbers. And um, I used that as my, you know, I lit a candle, it was very meditative. And in that I try to be um, listening and did get very good ideas on what to do next the next weekend at at the garden or what to do next in in family life. So I, I used that time in the kitchen. And that's been in recent years. And also prayerfully cooking for garden church meals, um, thinking about, is there going to be enough? And as we know that there are miracles that happen at the garden, there's always enough, whether you made a small amount or a large amount, always the right number of people come for the amount of food that you have. And that's, that continues to be a miracle starting with you, Reverend Anna, (laughs) and it continues to this day, each Sunday at the garden church. Enough and some to share. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One other like thought that came to mind is that um my mom referenced family camp, which is um the summer camp that we went to as a family where we just learned a lot of I think good um like 
habits and, and sort of ways to practice these things that we were learning in our faith. And one of them, the term that the sisters would use at this camp was um, the lunch disciples or the oh, yes. disciples. So yes. um, it basically just meant like there was a certain age group that would be in charge of whatever, picking up the plates or um, dishes or something, right? Like assigned the task. You were the disciple of that of that meal. And it's it was such a funny, for me at the time, like term to ascribe, but it's true about kind of like the way cooking is an act of service really to your family. It's a time consuming thing. And the discipleship, my mom took it and ran with it. Disciples of everything. Yes, <laughs> grocery, grocery disciples, grocery getting disciples. the groceries from in the car upstairs. I need some grocery disciples. Right. <laughs> blank disciple, right? That just meant the task that you were assigned to. Um, but I think it's true of cooking. And, and even if it's not... Um, or it can be more reflective in the moment, right? This idea that you cooking together and getting a certain set of tasks is part of your sort of role in the family, your service role, um, and how that connects to faith is, you know, either a cute term or just, or, or truly how you like, we, we ought to show each other this like love and time. Also, the um, what we learned at this family camp was the no thank you portion. So this will be helpful for Jarena when she looks at those vegetables on the plate and she doesn't want it. You, you, you have to give her one or two and you just say, OK, that's your no thank you portion. And you can just look at it now and maybe next time you'll try it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> maybe next time you'll try it. <laughs> Would you like some peaches? No, thank you. OK, here's your no thank you portion. You got it. <laughs> it was like how it played out. You're just like kids would have to be like, oh, furious. <laughs> they didn't like on their plate, but it's a good habit to be in, right? <laughs> right, absolutely. Oh, well, that's great. We always end our podcast interviews by asking the question, what brings you hope? And we talk about how it's not the kind of hope that kind of just, you know, glosses over struggle or injustice or pain, but that kind of that deeper hope that keeps you going. And so I want to ask you specifically, um, where do you find hope in your kitchen or in one another's kitchens? Well, I hope to get along with my son, Eamon, in the kitchen someday <laughs> <laughs> because he cares about good ingredients and we don't we don't get along in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> I, I have hope for the jar, uh, the garden church um, community to be able, be able to um, eat together someday, because I think that is a beautiful way that people from all walks of life can actually meet is around a meal where they otherwise wouldn't be able to meet and get to know each other. Because um, basically, you know, the meal together is Eucharist. So that is my hope that people see um, the sacred meal as, as Eucharist. Jesus asked us to do it in memory of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to say a little more on Eamon, my brother, who my mom just um, described as someone who like has just very different, maybe a different kitchen approach. <laughs> he um, He's a really good cook. He has yeah. a good yes. instinct for like combinations of foods. He's just like sort of one of those natural chefs. Um, and not to say that my mom's not, but like she's just I'm not. She just he, it doesn't he, matter he as much. To, he likes presentation. He, so he likes good flavor. He wants just like the right, you know. Yeah. He just wants the meal to be good. But he also is in service constantly. It sounds like he's always cooking it for his friends, for his people, and he, like, you know, um, he's really messy too. 
<laughs> anyway, what I was going to say, to tie that back, what I was going to say is what gives me hope, and I think about my son in this, is that um, these small habits and decisions you're making about the kitchen and cooking and being, um, you know, thinking of, of the environment and thinking of faith, like, my hope is that they continue to be passed, and that's the evidence that I've seen in the generations that we um, are, are represented here and hopefully into the future is that, um, uh, you know, I, th I think that persists and that feels good to know that you can set those examples and be intentional or even unintentional and it, it continues. And we have proof of that right here. <laughs> One day, you, amen, you called me, you want to make a lasagna and he wants to make himself what I need. I said, I have a flour, I have eggs, maybe you buy some mozzarella. But go to Teddy Joe's, the, the little package like this, it's plenty for what are we going to make. Okay, Donna, he came home with the packages like this, a mozzarella. Huge, huge. <laughs> package. And I said, what? <laughs> I make, I make. I said, okay. Yeah, Italian people don't put as much cheese on as we yeah, think. Yeah, but this was over, 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 though. So I said, okay, and he's supposed to cook for his people at work. Yes, he was cooking lasagna for a work-related event. So we made the trip, nice, to cook lasagna. I said, okay, you do it. Amen, stop, and if this The meat, it's okay. The the sauce, the sauce it's fine, and my mozzarella it's too much. Oh no no, I know I like it. I mean, that was my. See, thing. you have differences with Eamon's cooking too. Well, he put unbelievable. I said, good luck. <laughs> so not too long ago, I said, Eamon, tell me, I was. Well, there was a little bit too much cheese. <laughs> Duh. Too much cheese. I said, okay, you don't need something enough. Listen to me. Don't let just one little package for each box. <laughs> Listen to your grandmother. It was a bit cheesy. It was too much. Yeah, I think that's an important value I'm just thinking of now is that, you know, males in the household learn to cook and there's equality in, in kitchen responsibilities. Well, he learned. You make a mistake. He knows he felt a little bit. I said, you tell I made or you do. <laughs> She yeah. didn't want to take ownership yeah. of that. Don't ruin my brand. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. It was mine. <laughs> it's yours. It's yours. Uh, right. Well, I think that is really important and it's important to note since, you know, there are three female identifying people here on this, in this, this um, conversation, but that um, my observation is the whole family cooks, you know, I mean, Tim's in charge of the pizza oven, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, true. Your, your, your Irish husband, right? <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, now all your brothers, I, I think everyone cooks, right? Like, it's just, this everyone is just... Yeah. Some, you know, yeah. some more than others are interested. Sure. He will. Ask Garrity for Garrity doesn't yeah, cook Garrity. much right now, but he will someday. Yeah. I mean, so, Colin yeah. has had, Colin's in a, um, a, you know, a program where he has, he has to, to do, he can do it. Yeah, Colin, yeah. yeah. I think he has to cook for the full, all the volunteers. Like, yeah. they have a signed night. So, you know, there's, yeah. I think there's, like, naturally. He can do it a few things on my own. Not like, hey, man, but, you know, he can Garrity, <laughs> forget about it. Nana's honest about, by the way. She's honest about each of our strengths. She can tell you the best driver to the worst driver. She can tell you the best driver. 
Yeah. Yep. Which where I fall on either of those. <laughs> we know where our place is. Who's yeah. <laughs> the best? I don't know. <laughs> she knows. <laughs> <laughs> Are you like me before? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, well i will just say that i think another thing that you have modeled is that something that happens in your kitchens is laughter and that seems like a good hopeful piece to end on is that um when the generations come together that you can can laugh together and can be in that that sense of um joy and community so i'm grateful that you've shared all of your wisdom and stories and laughter with our listeners and i'm looking forward to the time when i can you know, and travel is a thing again, and I can come and sit around your table because um, I have many wonderful memories of of time we've, we've spent in your kitchen and around your table right there, the one that you're sitting at right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, thank you all for for sharing. All right. Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. It's been really fun and enjoyable. Yeah, nice and we do it. I know. Somebody yeah. knows. I know. Yeah. This yeah. is preserved now in history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, The Garden Church, and The Keep and Till. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.